in this series, and um, we've titled this Dreaming When You're Broken, and uh, it has gone hand in hand with what you see behind me on the platform. Uh, We've encouraged all of you to dream, to dream big, to put your dream in an envelope, bring it up here and staple it uh, to the pallets, and uh, put a big red check on it when those dreams have come to pass. And uh, so you can see that God is really doing some wonderful things with some people who are willing to dream. And uh, it's risky. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of purpose. But I believe God honors those things, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. God inspires you with a dream. There's something you want to come pass in your life. Step out on faith. Write it down. Type it out. Put it in an envelope. Put your name on the outside of it, and we'll staple it. And when God brings it to pass... We'll put the big red check mark on it, and uh, we'll rejoice with you. I'll remind you again that following uh, this first Sunday following Labor Day, we'll be launching Go Big. We've been in Dream Big mode since the first Sunday of June. And uh, the first Sunday after uh, Labor Day, we will launch Go Big. And uh, so I'm expecting God to do some awesome things, and he has been. God's been doing, wait till you hear. You'll start hearing the Sunday after Labor Day. You'll start hearing some of the things that God is doing. It's going to be pretty amazing. And uh, some of these things we've tried to keep kind of under wraps a little bit uh, to save it for just a big public announcement. We have permission, of course, from everybody that we will do this. And uh, to show you that when people dream big, God can do some big things. Yes, he can. So uh, let's jump into our Bible study tonight, dreaming when you're broken. I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of these sessions uh, on Wednesday night, to just download the church app to your smartphone, and you can listen to it anywhere you go virtually. uh, But listen to it. If you've not heard all of them, listen to them, and it'll certainly be a blessing. We've given you a principle. Uh, There's eight principles, and these are based on uh, the eight Beatitudes that Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read that in a moment. But let me share with you again, just to jog your memory, and uh, so that you can remember what these principles are. Number one, the first principle we gave you, is to realize that I'm not God. And I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable without God. All of us are that way. But with him, we can do all things. Amen. Uh, the second principle we talked about was to earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him. And he has the power to help me recover. The third principle we talked about was to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ, care, and control. Our fourth principle was to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone that I trust. The fifth principle was to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects or my character flaws. Our sixth principle was to evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. 
Our seventh principle that we talked about last Wednesday night was to reserve a daily time with prayer or with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. All of this is based off the Beatitudes that Jesus taught. Tonight is our eighth principle. And it is to yield myself to God, to be used to bring God's, uh, to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. It's our principle for tonight. I want to read tonight all of the Beatitudes to wrap this series up, found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And tonight, our verse for tonight is verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One translation said, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. It was some 2,000 years ago when Jesus preached what most believe to be the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, and we simply call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he started out by saying, and I'm going to use my terminology here, I want to give you eight steps that will bring happiness to your life. And that's what we've discussed for the past number of Wednesday nights. I want to encourage you folks. Uh, I don't ever teach to enhance your knowledge. I try to give you practical, hands-on Bible study that's relatively easy to get your head around it. And as pastor, when you know there's people who in their spiritual life, they lack, there's things they need to overcome, there's things that need to be put out of their life, there's things actually that need to be put back into their life. And so you teach material that will empower people to do that if they will receive it, if they will practice it, if they'll learn it, if they'll commit it to memory. So I'm going to ask you to take this whole entire series of dreaming when you're broken, and when you can, just go back and listen to it. Just listen to it over and over. And you'll realize by practicing what we've been teaching God can truly do some amazing things in your life, and it works. It absolutely works. So when you look closely at the Beatitudes that Jesus gave, you will find that there are a summary of the steps to recovery and restoration that we've been talking about. So as we wind this up tonight, we'll be looking at the last step on our path and journey to restoration. And that is to yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Now, this is not going where you think it is based on that statement. God wants to use your experiences to help other people. Not your knowledge, but your experience. Things you have experienced. God knows if we went around the building, there'd be no telling how many years of experience, if they were all accumulated and added up together, how many years of experience of serving God is in this building right now that could help people for eternity, as far as that goes. So God wants to use 
your experiences to help other people. Bottom line, God wants to use you. Not the person across the aisle, not the preacher. God wants to use you. And he can use you if you yield your life to him. He will gather up all of your experiences, your domestic experience. It could have been a good marriage or bad marriage. You could be a good parent or a bad parent. It doesn't matter. God can use your experiences to help someone else. Yes, he can. He wants to... God would like to recycle the pain that's been in your life. And there's people here tonight that are currently experiencing a lot of pain on a lot of different levels. I hope you're listening. God would like to use, recycle the pain in your life for the benefit of other people. Usually we think that God only uses really gifted and talented people with a lot of charisma and that don't have any trouble in their life. That is not true and it never has been true. Biblically it hasn't been true. God uses ordinary people. And I pray tonight that God would use our strength. But listen very carefully. God declares that he will use you in your weakness. Preached a message about this a couple of Sundays ago. You want to know why God can use your weakness? Here's why. Because people are not always helped by seeing your strength. But sometimes they're helped when you're honest about your weaknesses. When you share your strength, they say, well, I can never be like that. They'll say, your strength is never meant for my life. It's always beyond the reach of what I can ever glean or attain. But when you share, when you share your weaknesses, they say, now I can relate to that because I've been there. I know what that means. I, I know how that feels. So when you understand that God can use your weakness, your hurt, and your pain for His purpose then all of those things take on a whole nother meaning. Takes on a whole nother purpose. And when you begin to practice this last step of this Bible study, then and only then do you truly have genuine recovery and have reached a place of genuine restoration. I want everybody to look at the screen and notice this next thing that I want to say tonight. The proof of your recovery is when you begin to focus outside of yourself. If you can finally begin to focus on others and not yourself so much, it is a true sign of recovery and restoration. And some people being so self-absorbed will still want to ask, well, look how bad a shape I'm in. Look at all what I've been through. Look at all the horrible things that I've experienced in my life. How can I help other people? I'm going to show you how you can help tonight. I think sometimes the people, people don't want to be restored. They don't want to have an experience, a total recovery, where life is back to normal. You know why? Because they don't get all the attention that they're accustomed to. God's purpose in us 
is not for us to focus on our needs all the time and our problems and what have you. God's purpose in us is to focus on others and what we miss and what we understand. And I take part responsibility because I'm one of those preachers that preaches along this line sometimes. But we miss the big picture. The more we minister to others, the more we open up a conduit for God to minister to us. And if we could focus outside of ourselves and focus on others, on the needs of others, you're going to start hearing more about this here in the near future when we talk about go big. Is God, God put this in spiritual DNA that the gospel was never intended to just to remain in you, but it's to go everywhere to everybody. And God uses all kind of people and all kind of experiences and all kind of reasons to get the gospel out. But people sometimes don't want to admit or they don't want to strive for that place of restoration and recovery because they, they'll lose their inward focus and nobody will pay attention to them as much anymore. If I can be just a tad cynical tonight, um, if you'll go ahead and recover and start working with people, we'll keep sending you a get well card. We'll go ahead and call you once in a while and, oh, sister... I know life is just, oh my goodness, that thing you experienced 48 years ago, six months, two weeks and eight days ago, we remember that, oh, but you just keep witnessing and winning people, and we, will, we won't let you forget, we'll keep pouring attention. If you need us to do that, we will, for a minute. Everybody say amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Why has God allowed my pain? Why has God allowed me to suffer? Why has God allowed me to go through all the horrible things, the challenging things that I've gone through? I'm going to give you the first answer to that. You may not like it, but it's biblical and it is what it is. Number one. The reason God has allowed you to experience the things you've experienced is, is because he permits you to have a free will. I'm going to explain that, and I hope a little light comes on in your head. But God does it sometimes because he's just showing that people still have permission to have a free will from him. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. God said to Israel, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse. A blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, a curse. If you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods which you have not known. Now nobody, I say nobody, I don't like to use all-inclusive words like that, but most people don't ever see where I've strayed away from God. You know, you know that little stretch last year where I missed about eight Sundays in a row? I couldn't help it. I mean, we had to go to Branson, and, and then we had to go to Gatlinburg, and then we had a family reunion, and, you know, Disney World, come on. God understands this stuff. Does he? And you know, Pastor, sometimes I just get discouraged, and when I'm discouraged and depressed, I just have to stay at home. The Bible said, and, and, and we don't like this verse of Scripture, we're not comfortable with it, but God said, I set before you a blessing 
and a curse. Now you choose what you want to inherit, what you want to bear. If you want the blessing, then there's things you need to do. But if you don't want the blessing and go off and do whatever anyway, and, and stop and think, of all the things that we do, how much do we seriously consider God in our plans? We live in a society and a culture that Sunday morning church, I remember, I'll go back to my 20s, maybe mid to late 20s or something like that. We'd just gone into ministry. But back in those days, Wednesday night was becoming an option. When I was a child, you didn't miss church, period. You didn't miss a business meeting. You didn't miss prayer meeting. You didn't miss visitation. You didn't miss nothing. I think the only time we missed is when the janitors gathered together. And I say that in all due respect. But then after a while, church, church culture changed, and, and you know, it, it, it wasn't that big of a deal if you wasn't in church on Wednesday night. And we have a great turnout here tonight. We do. We have a lot of stuff going on in other parts of the building. If they were all in here, I understand it would be a great turnout. And our church is incredible. When I talk to other pastors, man, their Wednesday nights are rough. Because people don't feel like they need it. It's not biblical. It's not a commandment that you go. But it's a church culture that develops that God has obviously sanctioned. And I believe people need Bible study. There's sometimes wish we had Bible study two nights a week. Three nights a week wouldn't hurt. Because we don't get enough. Our 40-minute Bible study on Wednesday night and our 40-minute sermon on Sunday and 40 minutes, 5 minutes of Sunday school, that's about all Bible people get. And if you miss one of those, you cut it by a third. And so we determine that I don't need to be there. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be in church. I don't need. And so we forget that God has set before us a blessing and a curse. And it's up to you to choose. He permits you to have a free will. He's not going to make you do anything. So the Bible tells us in Genesis that we are made in the image of God, so how are we like God? God gave each of us the power of choice. You can choose right or wrong. You can choose God or the devil. You can choose life or death. You can choose heaven or hell. But why would God take such a risk? Because He wanted people to love Him voluntarily. You can't say you love someone unless you've had the opportunity not to love them. Any married folks here? I mean... you can't say you're good unless you've had the opportunity or the option to be bad so our free will is not only a blessing but it's also a burden because sometimes we make dumb choices we do dumb things and those dumb choices cause all kinds of painful consequences in our life and we want God to forget about that some kind of way we, we don't want to reap what we've sown. We want to do what we want to do for a certain period of time and then run back to God and play like God or forget it. He does forget it as far as that goes, but you're still going to reap those actions. You're going to reap those things. So we make all kinds of dumb choices and all kinds of painful consequences come to our lives sometimes as a result. God would not like for you to have your pain. But many times, it's just part of that package that comes with having a free will. 
So notice, not only does God give you a free will, listen very carefully, He gives everyone else a free will also. Sometimes they don't do the right thing and you get hurt because they made a bad choice. They made a bad decision. Y'all understand that? It's free will. People can do what they want to do. God don't hold a gun to anybody's hand and say, this is what you're going to do. Everybody can choose. It's, it's, it's the free will thing. <clears throat> so could God have prevented that hurt from happening to you? Yes, he could have. All he would have had to do would be to take away that other person's free will to do wrong toward you. So if he had done that, to be fair, he'd have to take away your free will as well. Y'all understand that? Does that make sense? So do you see the dilemma? The burden is that by having a free will, we get blessing, but we also get burden. And God says, I'm not going to overrule your will. God doesn't send anybody to hell if you choose to go there by rejecting everything that he does for you. Then that's what happens. But if you say... If, if you say no to him, if you say no to God, you can't blame anybody but yourself because God has given you a free will. So that's the first reason why oftentimes we have pain and hurt and tribulation and trouble and what have you in our lives. That's one reason as to why. The second reason is God will do this to get your attention. And we taught on this not too long ago. We've actually preached about it. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 30, the Bible said, The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, so do of the body. Now this, I don't think this is battery. I've got a brand new one in it. I don't know what's up. I'm experiencing a little pain here tonight with the equipment. <clears throat> But the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, so do stripes the inner parts of the belly. I don't have time to go into this verse tonight, and I wish I did, but, but you ought to make a note of it and study it. Just go home and Google it and find out what this means. It is broad. It goes very deep. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. Sometimes God will let you go through a series or a cycle or repetition of pain and suffering and torment, and he does it to get your attention because the blueness of a wound, the attitude that, that hurting causes, makes you turn Godward. So God sometimes will use pain to get our attention. Pain is a warning light on the dashboard of life, an alarm that says, it's time to act, it's time to turn around and go another way. Listen very carefully. Pain is not your problem. It's just a symptom of your problem. Pain just says something is drastically wrong in my life. Pain is God's megaphone. I used this statement several months ago in a message. I'm going to say it again. Notice the screen. God whispers to us in our pleasure, but He shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that he might receive damage by us and nothing. That I don't rejoice that, that you went through the pain, but I do rejoice over your repentance as a result of it. You're coming back to God as a result of it. 
There's folks here tonight that need to hear what the Word of God is saying. Jonah said in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Pain and suffering turns us Godward. It'll turn a state Godward. It'll turn a city Godward. It'll turn a nation Godward. Pain and suffering does that, and God sometimes will, if He can't whisper to us in our pleasure, pain comes to us in some form or another, and God begins to shout in, my, in our ear saying, I need to see you in the prayer room. I need to experience time with you in the altar. I, I need to share with you some things out of my word. And you're not doing those things. We have a choice. The third reason that God sometimes will allow pain to come to our life is to teach me to depend on Him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we've had, we have had the sentence of death in ourselves, and trust in ourselves, but in God, which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust, that He will yet deliver us. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. If you've never had a problem, you would never know that God could solve them. The truth is, there are some things we only learn through pain. And it's life's greatest teacher. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.71, For it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than a thousand, than thousands of gold and silver. Would to God we could hear these things. It, 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 would, it would be appropriate to have altar service tonight. <laughs> for people to say, I'm tired of where I live and how I live, and I'm tired of the pain, I'm tired of the suffering, I'm tired of the agony. I'm going to surrender myself, I'm going to yield myself, which is the essence of this Bible study. Yes, I've been through persecution, I've been through hardship, and I've been through difficulties, and, and I've learned a lesson, and I'm running back to God. What's the song the praise team sings that says, Your love brings me to repentance? God, God works in, in our lives in mysterious ways. And, and oftentimes there's things that maybe were not necessary to happen, but it, was, it could only happen. It was only the means God had to get us back to Him. One of these days we'll be thankful for that. When you're skipping down golden streets, you'll be thankful that God did whatever it took to make sure you was right with Him. The fourth reason that God will allow pain is to give me a ministry to others. And this is something that, that I, 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 again, would to God we could get our head around. Second Corinthians 1 4 says, Who comforted us in all tribulation, that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I've heard people say, and I don't understand it, well, I did something really stupid. I, I, I did something really sinful, and, and I could never be a blessing to anyone else ever again. That's crazy. You can teach transgressors the ways of God because you've been there. You can do it better than anybody else. 
I'll tell you this. If I ever stepped out in front of an 18-wheeler and survived it, and I see somebody else fixing to do the same thing, I'm not going to stand there and watch and say, well, just because I did it, I can't save them from doing the same thing. You take your trouble and trial and heartache and you use it to minister to other people. I was uh, able to see, uh, y'all, some of you would know her as Jane Mitchell, Jane Buford. Uh, she and I went out on one date. I saw her because of the times. <clears throat> Uh, or a rather camp meeting, excuse me, it was camp meeting. And I saw her and Brother Danny, awesome, awesome people, fantastic people. And I mentioned that to her. I said, you remember that night we went out on that date? And, of course, Sister Murphy was sitting there, and she was sitting there, and Brother Danny was sitting there. I said, that launched me into my ministry. I don't know if you realize that or not, if I've ever told you that or not. But my dad had passed away in July of 73. Her mother passed away a few months later. And a few months after that, we went out on a date. It wasn't a date. There was no romance, anything like that about it. We had that one thing in common. We were both hurting real bad. And I was able to tell her that night in the car, and I'll never forget it, that God has been a tremendous comfort to me, Jane, and he will be one to you as well. And that really is what sparked my ministry was that night. You can take your hurt and your suffering and even your sinful ways of the past, and use it. David said, I will teach transgressors thy ways. When did he say that? As he was recovering from committing adultery with Bathsheba. Don't let the devil put things in your head that are not true. So let me say again, everybody needs recovery of some type. And who better to help them than someone who has been through the same situation themselves. God wants to recycle the pain in your life to help others. But you've got to be open to that. You've got to be willing to let that happen. Who better can help a, a young teenager who was molested as a child than an adult person who has a fervent relationship with God that the same thing happened to them when they were a child? Who better can help? Who better can comfort someone that's lost a loved one than someone that's just lost a loved one? Y'all get me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Oftentimes, the best soul winners on the planet are the ex-drug addicts, the best alcoholics. You know why? Because they can still speak that language to those who are still in it. But let me tell you about somebody that brought me out of it. You want to know why you're hurting? You want to know why you've hurt? God can use that as a ministry to save someone else. And one of these days on the other side, that person is going to walk up to you and say, hey, I don't know if it will really happen, but you'll get the point. I'm sorry that had to happen to you, but God used that to save me. And I thank you. God is bigger than all of these situations that could ever happen in our life. And those people that have hurt you, God is bigger than them. No matter what people have done to you, God can turn it around and use it for good. Joseph said, which occurred to me tonight in pre-service prayer, he was the last dreamer before the captivity of Egypt. But he said in Genesis chapter 50, But as for you, 
You thought evil against me, he said to his brothers. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. If you had not done to me what you did to me, our nation would be starving to death is what he was saying. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. But you can waste it if you don't learn from it and if you don't share it with other people. Let me hurry. How do I use my hurt, Pastor, to help other people? Peter said in his epistle, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You always are ready to give an answer. You need to always be prepared to give an answer to this question. How did you make it through your hurt? How did you make it through that trial? How did you, how did you survive to this point? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. There's people here tonight, your shoulders have expanded since that last burden you carried. Your heart's gotten more fervent and you're more tender towards God than you've ever been. Who is more ripe to minister to someone else than you? And that's where your ultimate strength will come from. I want you to notice, bear ye one another's burden. That's a commandment. It's not an option. When you know someone is suffering and you don't call them, you don't reach out to them, you don't try to help, you're disobeying biblical command. This is one of the scriptures I use to tell people how important it is for you to be in church. You can't obey this command unless you belong to a, a body of believers. You can't bear one another's burdens if you don't ever go to church. I, somebody told me recently, I haven't been to church in months, but I don't sin. I still live, you know, everything I'm supposed to live. I'm glad and I'm happy about that, but here's one commandment you're not obeying. I wonder who you could help. If you'd throw a shoulder out there and just start showing up. So let me begin conclusion tonight. <clears throat> Here's three suggestions for sharing your story. Three mindsets, if you will, to share your story. First of all, you need to be humble. <laughs> when you witness to someone, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I remember one time when Sister Murphy's older brother Gary got married and uh, all of our youth group that weren't married yet that was in the wedding, we all went to Don's on Airline Highway. We had guys had on tuxes, the girls had on their wedding gowns from that night. And uh, I'll never forget it. I ate a big seafood platter. Boy, that thing was good. Oh, my. Wouldn't be bad right now, as a matter of fact. Hallelujah. Um, when we were all done eating, I'll never forget it. We were all talking about the wedding and all the things we could have done to poor Brother Gary and just had compassion. We wanted to haul him off and dump him in a cow pasture somewhere or whatever. We didn't do that. We were Christians sometimes. <laughs> that night we were. Anyway, um, I made the statement sitting at the table. I said, well, look. 
why don't we all go get in our cars and let's go to McDonald's and eat a Big Mac? And everybody's like, ooh, I don't want a Big Mac. That's gross. And you know why they didn't want it? And I reminded them that night that when we came out of Mexico after 10 days of, I don't even call that Mexican food. I don't know what we ate. I, I told Sister Murphy the other day that I think Hispanic people would like American Mexican food better than Mexican Mexican food. As a matter of fact, I know they would. <laughs> I've had both. So I speak from experience. I'm trying to minister to someone right now in my experience. But I remember when we came out of Mexico after, what, 10 days, however long it was, McDonald's didn't look too bad. We converged on that place like a swarm of flies. I ate two Big Macs that night and about 10 minutes later deeply regretted it. <clears throat> But, buddy, after you've just had a good seafood platter from Don's, man, Big Mac just don't sound good. You know why we share the gospel and it's not effective? It's because we're so full of it. You forget how it feels to be hungry. You forget those days when you cried yourself to sleep. You forget those times of suffering and pain and heartache. And when you woke up and you realized that God was all you had, we forget about those days. But bottom line, the very humble approach to witnessing and sharing the gospel with people is to share it in a way like you just found it. And you haven't had it ever in your life, even though you've been serving God for years. When you're not saying, when, when you're not saying that you have it all together, when you're telling somebody that, look, I don't have it all together either. Look, we're all in the same boat of humanity. But I still need God, and I still need God every day, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't need God, and it's a very humble approach. The second approach is to be real. Be honest about your hurts and your faults. Be courageous enough to be vulnerable and real, because that's when you're, you can really help someone else open up to God, and it's this atmosphere of acceptance that we want to cultivate in our church family. And again, you'll be hearing some more about this in the near future. But it's imperative. It's, it's, it's important. You never approach anybody condescending with some kind of superficial, super spiritual mask across your face and try to persuade them that I've never had a problem since I met Jesus and all I've done is tiptoe through the tulips. Everybody knows it's not true. Everybody knows it's, it's, it's just simply be real and be transparent and don't try to gloss it over and tell them how bad you were hurting and, and, and maybe how deep into sin you were. Not to resurrect a bad memory, but to say, God, pull me out of that. God, everybody here tonight has a testimony. Everybody does. I remember being intimidated, intimidated by a hundred plus hippies that prayed through in our home church in the, in the 70s. I remember being intimidated by that. And they could win God like I don't know what. I didn't have a testimony, I thought. Until one of those guys says, you have the better testimony because you never had to go there to find God. You never had, you've never had to live in a Volkswagen bus and shoot up on heroin and LSD and all that stuff to find Jesus. You're that little pale-faced teenage choir boy that looks innocent and pure and all that stuff. You didn't have to go where I went to find God. You have the greater testimony. We all have a testimony. And if you're real about it, it don't take very long to remember what the past was like when you were in that moment of despair when you needed God so desperately. And it doesn't hurt to share that with people. And then the third 
important mindset and, and ministering to people through your pain is to be kind. Just share your story. God wants you to be a witness, not a defense attorney. You can't argue anyone into heaven, and you can't hate anyone into truth. We have to get over our biases, our prejudice, and understand you don't have to defend God. God can stand on His own. You just share what God has done in your life. You don't debate. God is not the author of confusion. And you can't hate people. Just share what happened to you. And let God do the convicting. In conclusion tonight, this is how Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which tried our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also of our own soul, because you were dear unto us. Something amazing happens when you are willing to honestly share your story not only gives hope to them, but it gives healing to you. Every time you share your story with somebody, you get a little bit stronger, and you're healed a little bit more. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, But none of these things move me, Paul said, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel. Of the grace of God. There's only two things. That you cannot do in heaven. One of them is sin. And the other is witness. Which of the two reasons. Do you think God left you on earth for? It's pretty obvious isn't it? Father we love you tonight. And. As always, it is an esteemed privilege to break open the bread of life and to share its hope, its promises, its challenges. And God, tonight you know, you know better than anyone else, that there's people in this building that have suffered and there's people here tonight that are suffering. Ship without a sail, unstable, having a hard time keeping their feet underneath them. We all have that propensity as humans to ask why. Why me? God, I gave some reasons out of your word. And sometimes these reasons are hard to swallow. They're hard to accept the reality of them. 
But regardless of the reason why, I wish we could look beyond that, and I pray right now that we could look beyond the why and find a purpose. If for no other reason, there's people walking around in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that are suffering the same things that we suffer, or they're suffering the same things that we had suffered. God, help us to see an open door. Perhaps that's the greatest purpose of our pain. It's so that we can minister to someone else. God, I pray tonight that it would become our culture. That our focus would not remain on ourselves. That our focus would not remain inward. But that we could start looking beyond ourselves. Not to dream of our own recovery. But to dream of the recovery of others. Backsliders. People who are bitter. People who have been hurt. I pray, God, tonight that you would take this group of people and bring us to a place of maximum impact, of maximum influence. As we heard preached Sunday morning, that we could start moving the crowd. Not move the crowd out of our way, but move the crowd to you. I pray tonight, God, that you would challenge our thinking, that you would challenge all the residual things that are in our heart, that, God, maybe they need to be replaced with a new message that they need to be replaced with passion and zeal and determination, discipleship. Help us, God, to be willing to bear one another's burdens, to minister to one another, to love one another, and to not take each other for granted, but to remain a part of your kingdom until you come. We ask you to do these things among us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Take your pain to someone else and share with them how glorious God is because He sustained you to this point. God bless you. You may rise to your feet and be dismissed. It's hard to dismiss church when you're sitting, isn't it? Just can't get used to it. God bless you.